but the set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially, excuse me, help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to glorify you tonight by carrying your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're finishing up. There's a solution. Uh, I've got a lot out of it uh, this time. I don't know how many times I've read these pages. It's so well written. Uh, we covered last week about uh, Roland Hazard, Dr. Young, and then we talked about the terrible dilemma that uh, Roland Hazard was in because he needed spiritual help, but he didn't know how to get it because there was no AA. But he went to, uh, he went to, uh, from Switzerland, he went to New York to uh, Reverend Sam Shoemaker's Calvary Church where they had the Oxford group and the six steps. And what they were trying to do was not treat alcoholism, they were trying to treat self-centeredness. They were trying to, to grow in the image and likeness of uh, Christ. It was a Christian group and they wanted to grow in sanctification. They believed but they still were self-centered and so they wanted to be able to uh, practice God's character and grow in his image and likeness. And so they had six steps and uh, it said so uh, he had a terrible dilemma and then he had an extraordinary experience which uh, made him a free man. So his working these steps and his relationship with God changed from self-centered to God-centered and he was allowing God to work in his life. And then it says, I've covered this last week, but it's, it's, it's a few lines that people need to remember, I need to remember. We in our turn sought the same escape from what? What was I escaping from? From me from bondage of me, living in my world that I created with all the desperation of a drowning man. Now, I, I like to see when people are trying to escape from their self-centeredness with the desperation of a drowning man. But I'll be honest, I don't see it that much. I see people who want their lives to change. They don't want to drink or use. Uh, they want things to be better. They don't want to keep making the same bad mistakes and, and relationships, but they're not desperate. Now, when you're drowning, that's a bad situation, I think. Drowning is bad. And when you're drowning, you really don't have a lot of options because you lose control. And I used to get carried under when I would go to the ocean as a little kid, and that would be really scary. And I would only be going like 10 or 20 feet. So if you're drowning, it says what seemed at first a flimsy read, and that could be the first person you talk to about your alcoholism, the first meeting you go to, the first person that connects with you, uh, the reading the big book for the first time, uh, getting what you, we call a sponsor, starting to work the steps. It, it starts out as a flimsy read, but if you keep doing it, it proves to be the loving and powerful hand of God. It was the loving, powerful hand of God in the beginning because God was working in your life, but it was a flimsy read. 
I think we made it flimsy. It was the powerful hand of God. And so I just saw that. That's good. We made it flimsy. You know, it's always the powerful hand of God. But sometimes that powerful hand of God, we didn't want to take it. And then we kept drowning. And so I, I like to see desperation. This book was not written for people who were not desperate. They're not going to do it. And how do you become desperate from your disease? Pain. Pain and suffering. Emotional and physical and mental pain. You just don't, can't take it anymore. Your life is completely unmanageable. Anybody have that? Yeah, I, I don't want to forget how bad it was. It was pretty bad for me. In fact, it was bad, but I'm sure it could get worse. <laughs> Has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And here's what you get from AA. A new life has been given us by who? God. See, we can't take credit for it. We grab his hand and he gives us a new life or a design for living that really works. And what's the design? Well, two things. One, it's not my design. <clears throat> it's God's design. And two, it's allowing him to work in my life, doing his will, serving him and others, a whole change in the direction of your life. I saw a lot of things tonight for the first time doing this. Maybe it's seeing Paul again. But you see how it is? Flimsy Reed proved to be the loving. When you, and so there's the line that I like to quote. When we look back, the things that happened, when we put ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything we could have planned. Think about it. And you put yourself in God's hands without even realizing it when you reach out for help. When, so, when somebody sh asks you if they can call you, they get your number. When, you, when God puts people in your life. So then they talk about the distinguished American psychologist, William Jaynes, and I covered this, but I'll repeat it again tonight, sorry. Varieties of religious experience, which I want to tell you, is not light reading. I, I couldn't read it, it was too hard for me. Uh, too many words. Uh, indicate it's a good book I'm sure but it's not the kind of thing I can read indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God we have and there are multiple ways but I think there's really only one way we allow God to work now there could be different paths but it's the same thing it's the flimsy read that proves to be the powerful hand of God and remember we suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves and so there may be ways that you would get to that point, but that's what it is. You're aware of a power working in your life, and it's, it's different. To me, the biggest example of that today is when I changed my mind. <laughs> I changed my mind about something. I realized I could be wrong. And it could be something really trivial. But when I change my mind, that's allowing God to work in my life. We have no desire to convince anyone that there's only one way by which faith can be acquired. And I see that different today. They're not telling you that there's different ways of faith, but they're telling you there's only one way by which faith can be acquired. And there, um, there may be different ways that you get the powerful hand of God, the flimsy reed. 
becomes the powerful hand of God, but it has to be the powerful hand of God. It has to be faith in God, trust and reliance on God, not trusting and reliance on myself. If what we have learned and felt and seen, now that means if they had learned this, they felt this and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator. We all had a creator. Did anybody in the room create themselves? No, no. With whom you didn't fly out of the uh, water and land on the beach and then develop five fingers and a brain and be able to drink coffee. No, that didn't happen, did it? Ed? No. Uh, people listening probably turned me off already. With whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms. You don't want to make it too complicated. What are the terms of the relationship? I stay close to him, and I do his work well, and he'll give me everything I need. Is that complicated? That's the contract we have with God on page 63, when we decide we're not going to play God anymore. And, and the relationship, you can form that as soon as you're willing and honest enough to try. Now here's two words I hadn't seen in the book before, to try. Right, Stu? As soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. You can be willing and honest, but if you're not, it has to be enough to try it and you have to do it. Those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There's no friction among us over such matters. We need to remember that. There shouldn't be any friction among us over any matters. I heard somebody use the word today, compromise. We don't like to compromise in our society anymore. We don't like to um, be considerate of other people's ideas and treat each other with respect. There's a shortage of that. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our members identify themselves with. So you can say you believe in Jesus Christ and there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't tell somebody that they better do that. You might, if they ask you about your belief, you might explain and talk to them about it. But, but we don't want to push our religious ideas on someone else, but we want to be an example of whatever it is, so they might want to know. They might be interested in what happened. This should be an entirely personal affair, which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. It says later in the book that you'll start going back. You may go back to where you used to go for your religious affiliation. You may have a new relationship there. Now in the following chapter, which we're going to start tonight, there appears an explanation of alcoholism as we understand it. It's a chapter that I don't know is read enough. I don't think the book is read very much at a lot of meetings today and things. Uh, in Topeka, for those, let's see, elsewhere in Topeka, we have the, the daily reflections. And they read that every day, and they read, a, read the reflection people talk about. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I always wonder why they just didn't read a page in the big book. And then another page the next day, they have meetings Monday through Friday. Uh, and the chapter addressed to the agnostic. That is those who have no knowledge of God and the reason that follows the explanation of alcoholism because we need God. And we need knowledge of God. Not belief, but knowledge. 
Now, in AA, there's a difference between belief and knowledge. Belief is not faith in AA. There's a difference. Faith in AA is trust and reliance upon God. When you've seen that flimsy reed, become the powerful hand of God. And I know when I'm in fear, I go to God. Say the prayer. It's gone. I'm angrier in one of my uh, character defects. I say, God, please remove it. And it's done. I trust him. I trust and rely upon God. And so then I have knowledge of God. I know, I know what God can do. I know who God is. I understand him as best I can, limited understanding. Many who were once in the agnostic class, uh, and I think here they're talking about uh, some atheists as well. Surprisingly in us, we find in no, such convictions no great obstacle for a spiritual experience as long as you're willing, honest, and open-minded because that's what we read in the spiritual experience appendix. If we're not willing, honest, and open-minded, hey, it's not happening. And really, the only obstacle to a spiritual experience is me. And the only obstacle is, is, is my old ideas. And it says we have to get rid of all of our old ideas or the results nil. And my old ideas encompass all my resentments, my fears, my shame and guilt, my desire to make amends, but also they're all my, everything I thought I was right about, everything I thought that I wanted or needed to be happy was wrong. It was all centered on me. And so uh, once you're desperate as a drowning man, those obstacles kind of go away. And that's why the, it's a gift of desperation. We talk about that. The desperation is a gift because then you're not fighting. You, you give up. You're willing to do anything. It says you have to be willing to go to any length. Is it saying that anywhere? Is it read at every meeting? And, and what does it mean, any length? And so why? why? Because you're powerless over alcohol, and you're powerless over running your life. And that's what the next chapter is going to show us, that we're screwed. We will never have a defense against the first drink as alcoholics, ever. And then it says they're going to have clear-cut directions. Isn't that interesting? They're going to tell you how they made their cake. And they're going to have those directions that are on the side of the box. Now, here's the problem with that. Alcoholics never read the directions. I would always get things and throw the directions away. And then I have 20 minutes later, I, I can't do it. My wife says, well, what would you do with the directions? Well, I threw them away. She says, well, go get them. You need the directions. And so clear-cut directions. And that's in how it works and into action, showing how they recovered. So if you want to recover, do the directions exactly as they did it. They'll tell you it's very simple. Now, here's the problem with that. If you do your directions, you're going to get your cake. Now, my directions got me a cake, and it got me a wristband. And it got me to, to, to really a terrible state of mind and body. And I thought I had a hopeless condition of mind. The body was going to go on and die. But then something happened. God worked in my life to make me desperate to see the truth of my situation. And I said, God, please help me. I cried. And then uh, people came in my life. We can't say, I'm desperate. God, help me. And then sit at home in the basement. It's like if you're in the desert and you say, God, I want you to get me water. 
and, and then he'll say, you better get up and walk and find the water. And so, um, I don't know if that made sense, but we have to take the actions and God will be the director of them. And it says in the personal stories they describe his own language, his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. That's what we should be doing at the meetings. That's what we should be doing with newcomers. That's what we should be doing with each other. And then each day, how am I continuing to establish the relationship with God? Remember, we want to grow in understanding and effectiveness in the world of the spirit. These give a fair cr cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. Now, a lot of people, their book studies, they read all the stories each week, and that's good. But they, the stories are not the steps. It's not the directions on the steps. It's someone's experience. And for new people and old, it's, it's fun to read the stories, and I get a lot out of them. But it shouldn't, the stories are not the clear-cut directions. And they're there to show the new person that you can establish this relationship with God. You can recover from a hopeless condition of mind and body. And it's, we hope no one will find these self-revealing accounts of bad taste. Our hope, and here was their hope, this is their vision, is that many alcoholic men and women, here it is again, desperately in need. Notice the three words. I hadn't seen that before, Stu. Desperately in need, I had, but you see the desperation? If you're not desperately in need, it's not gonna matter. But they say, our hope is that if you're desperately in need, we'll see these pages, and we believe that it's only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I'm one of them too, I must have this thing. So they're talking about if you're a new person and you have somebody come up to you and you're desperately in need, and I tell you what I did to get to the point where I have a power over alcohol today from God, then you might say, I want that too. And then I use the book. I go through the book with them. That's why I started this site, so that I hoped that uh, somebody wouldn't have to die. They could, they could go through the book and they wouldn't have to die like my son did at four, three or four in the morning. So I have some notes here. I said, have you established and what happened as a result? You might ask yourself that. Could you explain it to somebody? And so they end with that, I must have this thing. So then let's go to the next chapter, more about alcoholism, and look at, uh, at one page here, because there's so much in the first page. So you're going to tell us more about alcoholism. Not about alcohol, but about alcoholism. Remember, alcohol is not our problem. People say, how can that be? It's alcohol. Alcohol is not our problem. Alcohol was my solution to living a life separated from God. Alcohol was the solution to my emotions as a result of being separated and living self-centered. And we want a different solution. So we're going to learn more about alcoholism in this chapter. And what they're really going to emphasize is that every alcoholic has this queer mental twist that tells us it's OK to drink, even when we know it's not OK. 
and our mind doesn't bring into and recall the humiliation and defeat and can't say no to that first drink has no power to. In fact, the only thing you think about is what it's going to do for you, not to you. Has anybody ever felt better on the way to the uh, liquor store or getting your drugs? You know, you know, it's coming. The relief is coming. The relief from what? Living a self-centered life. Living separated from God. That's why we don't feel good. Now, that's why we need this more than most, but most people have self-centered lives. And a lot of people are in, live in fear or anger. But they don't drink themselves to death. <laughs> they don't ruin their lives. They're just miserable. We're miserable and we're ruining our lives with our using. And so we, that's why we're desperate to do this. And I've seen people in church that are full of resentment. And I've tried to talk to them a little bit, but they're not desperate. They don't want to change their resentment. They're, they're comfortable with them, and they're not drinking themselves to death. Now, they, the wife might not be talking to them, and they may be uh, having trouble in all their relationships, but they don't see it. And that's why it's very hard to get people who aren't in our situation to work these steps. But their churches are trying. There are 12-step groups. These, these principles are what's in the New Testament on how, how we should be and how we get to be that. And so I would, I would think it would be great for everybody. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. So you have to know what a real alcoholic is. And really, most of us are unwilling to admit that we have a hopeless condition of mind and body. And I wrote, many, most of us are being unwilling to admit to myself, to my innermost self, that we're a real alcoholic. So what is a real alcoholic? Can you be an alcoholic and not a real alcoholic? Yes, you just don't know it. See, all alcoholics are real alcoholics. And they're trying to make a difference here because they're trying to emphasize that you can be an alcoholic and not know it. But we want you to know it because that's what they're going to talk about in the next two paragraphs is to be fully conceding your most self that you are an alcoholic. So what makes me an alcoholic? I can't take the first drink without wanting a second drink. Anybody else have that? I have an allergy to alcohol. And my mind tells me that I need, a, need that relief of, of ease and comfort of alcohol, and so I'll seek it. Even though I know that it's been bad in the past, I'll tell myself it'll be different this time. Or I don't even think about it. Towards the end, you don't even think about it. You're just in this, in this spiral. And so, and I didn't understand when I came to AA that I had a spiritual illness. The other thing I really didn't understand, and it kind of pissed me off in the beginning, was that I was the problem. Because I had a list of like seven or eight people that were the problem. And if they hadn't been in my life and done the things they did, I would have been fine. But that was a real delusion. And that was smashed. And you know what? It was such a relief. You know why? Because I can't change them. And I don't want to change them. I, I could change myself. And so it was a relief to realize it was me. And, and all I had to do was live on a different basis of trusting and relying upon God. He says, no person likes to think that he's bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain 
attempts. Vain means fails to achieve an intended result to prove we could drink like other people. I, I know some people have tried to do that. I don't know that I ever really tried to do that. But some people do that. They're trying to prove that they're not a real alcoholic, that they can control how much they drink. So I guess if you can control how much you drink, then you're not a real alcoholic. But if you're a real alcoholic, you can't control how much you drink. So if you're a real alcoholic, you are an alcoholic. I think that made sense. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy, notice the words, his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. So if you're an abnormal drinker, you're never going to be able to control and enjoy your drinking. And the obsession is because your mind wants alcohol to relieve the emotions that are a result of living a life of self-centered separation from God. But you don't realize that. You don't go to the liquor store and say, well, I'm self-centered, I'm separated from God, I have a spiritual illness, I need a drink. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> it, but that's really what's happening. But you don't know that until you come here, until you study the book. And that's why the book's laid out. You don't get to that till page 60. They, they want us to do some work and to have things see the truth about ourselves before they get to that. So we're never going to be able to control and enjoy. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. An illusion is a false idea or belief. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So there's some people who keep thinking they're going to be able to do it. It's going to be different this time. But I think most people towards the end know that that's not true. But they don't want to stop. And they have no way to stop. And even if they want to stop, they don't have the power to stop. That's why this is a really bad disease. Uh, we learned, so this is the important paragraph. I, they learned, and I've learned, that I had to fully concede, admit something true after, after denying it. Fully concede, yield, concede, fully admit into my innermost self. That means they can't have any, any delusions anymore. And how does that happen? It's broken down. You're surrendered. You're beaten down. And I, had, I fully concede. And notice it doesn't say that you need to fully concede. It says we had to. You have to do that. You have to fully concede your inmost selves that you're not going. Now, how does that happen? Because you're surrendered by the disease. And you can see it. You can see the truth about it. Now, if, you don't, if you're not convinced you're not going you're not going to work the steps. Right? If you haven't fully conceded to your innermost self that you're an alcoholic, then you can't make any progress. Why? Because this is the first step in recovery. If you can't fully concede to yourself you're an alcoholic, then you won't be able to admit you're powerless over alcohol. People get confused. The first step in recovery is not that I admit I'm powerless over alcohol. The first step in recovery is that I fully concede to my innermost selves that I'm an alcoholic. And, and an alcoholic is powerless over alcohol because I cannot keep from taking the first drink, loss of choice, and I can't stop once I drink control. And that's powerless. So I have to concede to my innermost selves and I have to keep that concession. 
to be able to take the first step all the time. Because what happens is people come to AA, I've seen it happen, and they, they come and things get better. You know, that's good, they're good. And you know, they may get back in the house and they may get the job or whatever. And then they, they say, you know, I've stayed sober for three months. So I, I can drink now because I can quit any time. How many times have I heard that? Well, I look at it like, that's total insanity. But they haven't, and I don't tell them that because I feel bad. I, I say, how can I help them? And, but they haven't fully conceded because they've taken it back. They've stopped fully conceding that they're innermost of their alcoholic because they think, well, I can quit any time. Well, if you can't quit any time if you're a real alcoholic. So you can't admit you're powerless over alcohol, and this is the first step in recovery. Not the first step in the program of recovery. The delusion, it's a delusion that we are like other people, or Presley maybe has to be smashed. And people like to pound the table. Stu scared the hell out of me there. But it has to be smashed. Now, how does it get smashed? It's not an intellectual thing. See, that's fully conceited in myself. Then you wake up one day and say, wow, I'm going to fully conceive the of ourselves. I'm going to smash. No, it's, it's, it's not intellectual. It has to happen in the heart. And I believe God, God can do that for you. God will help you see the truth of your situation. But what you do with that is your, is your deal. But God will help you so that you can fully concede. And that's why pain is the, is the admission to freedom. And you have to surrender to win. You've heard that, right? And you don't get any power until you let go of it. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. So they're going to talk about control, and then they're going to talk about choice, and then they're going to talk about the man of 30, who after 30 years thought he could drink again, then he died. And then they're going to talk about the jaywalker, and they're going to talk about Jim and Fred. And then this chapter is going to end with this paragraph. So they're going to end this first part of the book, the first step, 43 pages, doctor's opinion, saying once more, the alcoholic, now this isn't the new alcoholic or the alcoholic that hasn't decided to quit yet. It's me. It's you. It's all of us at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Ex except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So what they're saying is, I'm never going to have the ability today or tomorrow to choose whether to drink or not. The only thing I can choose is to have a relationship with God that gives me the power of choice. That's the deal. People get confused. They think, I'm going to come for a while, I'm going to get smart, I'm going to do some work, and then I'm going to have some power. No, I never have the power. It has to come from God. So there you go. That, that was enough out of me. Thank you. <laughs>